Welcome to the Origins of the Hunt podcast, where we bring like-minded individuals together, share stories, strategies, and discuss everything outdoors. Thanks for tuning in, and remember, never stop learning. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Welcome to episode number two of the Origins of the Hunt podcast. So with the hunters uh, starting not to get geared up for late season, it's under two weeks away here, thought it would only be fitting to have someone who I would say definitely knows more about the topic than I do. Uh, so with that being said, we're joined with guest Aaron, is it Pascarette? Pascarette. Uh, Aaron Pascarette of Legendary Pursuits is his page. So uh, Aaron, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and give us a little bio about you and if you want to talk on your page a little bit. Yep. Uh, my name is Aaron Pascarette. I uh, grew up in Southwest Pennsylvania, uh, live in Northwest Pennsylvania now. Uh, just been hunting since I can, as long as I can remember. Uh, and then once I turned 16 and was able to hit the woods on my own, I never looked back, but uh, yeah, man, I just appreciate you having me on and getting a chance to talk hunting with you. Yeah, I appreciate you being on. What's uh, so your page, Legendary Pursuits? What's uh, is there a story behind that, or is that your page, or is that just a, a page you're teamed up with? Or, oh, uh, no, that's my page. Okay. Uh, back in 2009, I think I started it. Uh, Leatherwood Outdoors, I don't know if you're familiar with any of their stuff, but I, I found their stuff right after graduating high school, and they really inspired me to start taking a camera to the woods, and so I bought my first one. and that just it just uh snowballed into a decade later and yeah you know it's, yeah it's it's great i kind of i i obviously had i started my own page for for the podcast and it was definitely it was different restarting because i'm i was new to this whole social media uh growing a page to begin with when i kind of got into instagram and then kind of restarting over it was it was definitely different, but it's fun. I can't wait to, you know, start putting some episodes out and, and get guys like you on that that uh, have knowledge about a little bit of everything, not just one thing or the other. So uh, the topic is obviously late season. It's coming up here in Pennsylvania pretty soon. Uh, next Within two weeks now, uh, we're airing this. It'll be about a week and a half, I think, away. So traditions, uh, where did exactly, where would you, do you have any history on where Flintlock maybe came from or, you know, where did it originate and, you know, what does, what is the real tradition behind, behind the meaning of Flintlock season here in Pennsylvania? Yeah. So, uh, one thing that a lot of people don't understand is that the Pennsylvania Flintlock season is like entirely purely a historical season to honor our heritage of hunting and surviving with flintlocks. And the time frame of that was prior to like the 1850s because uh, 1870s or so percussion guns came in and then flintlocks slowly fell off. But so everything prior to the 1850s was flintlock based here in PA. That's what they hunted with. That's what they survived with. That's what they fought with and uh like our our flintlock season has no bearing or 
um, measurable effect on the deer herd. So that's part of the reason that it's so unique. Like we only take a few thousand deer a year. So what I'm saying is that the game commission, it doesn't even, it's not a blip on their radar. You know, in bow season, we take hundreds of thousands of deer and rifle season, same thing. Uh, but um, one of the things you were talking about was the, the doe, the fact that you can use your buck tag as a doe tag. And yep. there's not a lot of, like, you can't just go Google it because a lot of this happened prior to the internet. But essentially back in the 1970s, you had to forfeit your um, doe tag to secure a muzzleloader license. So basically you were taking a bet on yourself that you were gonna forego rifle season to be able to take your flintlock out later. And somewhere in all of that is where the, the fact that you could use your buck tag as a doe tag. And because okay. it has no like management effect on the deer herd, they just kept that that aspect of it. Uh, it actually started, the first season was in 1974, was the first flintlock season. And it was only open on, I think, 65 game lands. So is that when, so in, in 74, that would be when they designated a specific flintlock season. Because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you obviously would probably know before I would, uh, are we the only state that has a flintlock season and are do other states carry flintlocks at all or is it all in line um we're definitely like the only state that has a flintlock specific season there are a few more states you're seeing them actually starting now to make some more primitive uh seasons available i think a couple of western states possibly montana has like a primitive weapon season that you can go out in um, but what I was saying was, I got my numbers backwards, but in 1974 was the first season and they only had it open on 30 game lands and they took a total of 65 deer that year. Um, so I wonder, you said it doesn't really have a, a management, you know, it doesn't impact the, the management on the herd. Some, I mean, some may disagree. I want to hear what you think about it. Um, I've heard opposite feelings about that because a lot of people argue that the doe are, you know, pregnant. So you're taking, potentially taking more than one deer when you take a doe and you, you potentially could be taking a buck that has lost its horns already. What are your, you know, what are your thoughts on that? You don't, do you, you don't see that, you know, maybe I know that's a big, that's one thing that I've heard about a negative thing about. Uh, you know, the flintlock season. Yeah, and that's understandable. Uh, I would push back on that and say that almost every deer taken after November 9th is carrying multiple fawns. Uh, exactly. Every, yep. every doe taken. So uh, I, I don't know the numbers on how many we get in rifle season, but I know it's probably 100,000 minimum, you know. And every single one of those does has been through the rut. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, a lot of those people are saying that because they, I think it's more, they feel bad, which is understandable because it's, it's a, it can be a very brutal time of year. You know, it could be very cold that in late season and 
they can be scrounging for food and and the the thought of oh well they're you know they are pregnant potentially like you said you've made a great point almost in our entire deer season they could potentially already be you know on the on you know impregnated yeah and i would say the same thing about uh, bucks that have already shed their antlers because every rifle season i see pictures of bucks that have that were taken as does that already shed their antlers and and i don't think the numbers are very high like i don't have the like the wildlife biologists they decide this stuff and they know way better than i do but as far as like we talked about shed hunting and I don't find very many sheds during flintlock season. Like a lot of those bucks are still carrying. You're going to have your outliers just like in everything else, but it's, it's just, I don't know. I guess my bottom line is that I would encourage anyone that feels a certain way about flintlock season or is curious about it. Just go find someone that has a flintlock and ask them to take you, ask them to teach you. Or if you don't have that option, we have the internet and there is, uh, I think I touched on it also about the Facebook groups. You can do it on your own. If you go on there and ask guys, like we're more than willing to help. And I know like Charlie was saying, he would, when we were talking prior to this, that he was looking to get into it. And I was like, Hey man, if you ever want to go, just let me know and we'll make it yeah, happen. So, that's all, it, that's all it took really. I mean, I, I, I know a couple of people that do that do it but i you reached out immediately so i thought who else would be better uh to have on for you know a segment for the late season that's that's quickly approaching um we'll get into your season a little bit after this but if you if you didn't have a buck tag in your pocket what would is there anything that you would do because we kind of avoid right now in our seasons is there anything that you do since you are you know you said you're one of your your top seasons you're to hunt it would be flintlock you said in a, in a comment on my first episode so i figured who would be better to to talk to you about it because i'm not as familiar about it so is there anything that you would do in this you know couple weeks that we have off to prepare for late season i mean not necessarily just buck just late season in general yeah i would get into the woods and put the miles on and find the best food source that you possibly can and focus almost a hundred percent on that. Um, it's, it's like not to say hundred percent again, but it's all about the food in late season. And, uh, that translates right into shed season after that. Like you're always, you want to be where the deer are right now because they're going to bed close to that food. And it's going to, that's where, their time is in the bed and in the food. There's nothing else on their minds at that point of the year. So you're kind of just looking mainly, you know, are you looking in terrain features? Are you looking for, you know, for, I guess it'd be south, you know, south facing slopes or any specific terrain features in the colder weather that may hold specific food sources? Or are you just kind of, uh, are you, more boots on the ground trying to find fresh food sources or um well the first thing that i typically do is i'll go check all the like historical food sources that i know to see whether they're holding or not like this year we have like no acorns 
at all where I've hunted it this season. And so it doesn't matter if you can find that oak that's on a north face, that's where you need to be. Like, and especially because the winter hasn't been overly uh, bad at this point, we haven't had very much snow. So they're not really concentrated on those south slopes yet. Like that's more January, February, early March, where they really get on there, where they can catch that sunlight. But uh, bottom line is it doesn't matter what terrain feature you find that food on. That's the, just the food is where you want to be at. So you're looking mainly, you're just going food and food and bedding. Yeah. I mean, obviously you'd like to find it close to close some by. sort of thicket or uh, terrain that they would naturally bed on like a point or just off of a clear cut, obviously, but. It's... So how, how long have you been, is this something you grew up doing? Did you, cause you, you know, you, you commented on my first episode on the post and you mentioned about uh, some of the laws that I was, I was unfamiliar with, you know, about the whole, the tag that you can use in late season with a buck tag to, you know, use it for a doe. Uh, and you, you hit the nail on the head. You knew exactly what you were talking about and gave very you know good information. So is this something that you grew up because, you know, it's definitely a tradition, as you said, in Pennsylvania. So that's something you grew up on or got into later yeah, no, uh, my family just was like the typical PA rifle hunters and basically like no one bow hunted, flintlock hunted, or even muzzleloader hunted in my family. But I was so interested in hunting that like, as I got older and I was more able to go out on my own, I just like, I wanted a bow so I could go bow hunting. I wanted an inline and then I wanted a flintlock so that I could just hunt from October 1st the whole way to January 15th but I probably got my first flintlock about a decade ago now and never looked back yeah it's uh it's one of those things that runs deep in Pennsylvania the the tradition uh I got into it a little bit when I was before right before I was a teenager you know just turning a teenager but as you know it's it's a it's a it can be a very frustrating thing and at that point in my life, I didn't have patience, so it didn't really pan out for me. Uh, I definitely want to get back into it with my profession now. I my my busy time is summer and uh, and spring, I would say. So I'm more, I have a lot more time, and I I mean I chase some way, shape, or form. I'm chasing deer, you know, most of the year. So I usually put a lot of boots on the ground anyway. So I think that would be something. I mean, I, I definitely archery hunt late season, but I think it would be it'd be a whole new challenge to maybe put the bow away after after November and and tackle tackle something new. Uh, what would you say? What are I, I guess I should ask? What are pointers? You know, what are what are do's and don'ts for for someone maybe just starting out? And you know, if someone is trying to start out. Is there, are there pages, you know, on Facebook, Instagram that, that, that you could follow or, you know, I don't really, we have actually a, a, a muzzle loading store in, in my town and it started out just strictly muzzle loading and they kind of grew now and changed their name to a, just a gun store. So I do have that option to go, but I know a lot of people, you know, maybe not have that option. How would you suggest or give any pointers to 
I guess, getting into it for somebody that has no idea, you know, maybe grew up strictly only archery hunting or strictly rifle hunting? I would, I would definitely seek out someone that already flintlock hunts if it's an option for you. Like if maybe, uh, like you said, on Facebook, there's some really great flintlock groups and those guys, you can just send a message out, say, Hey, I'm looking to get into this. And you'll probably have a hundred comments of guys giving you tips or offering to take you out. And, um, there's actually some, they're fairly, uh, prevalent, but it's muzzleloader, like flintlock shoots that you can go to this time of year. And even if you just go and watch and they'll hand you a gun and teach you how to do stuff if you ask, but, uh, or you can just go buy a flintlock and do the research and just self-taught. Yeah. It's a struggle no matter what you do, but it's going to be a real struggle if you don't have anybody to show you but it's definitely doable. That's what I did. So, okay. So now I, I, uh, I see the Turkey fan behind you and I would have to say one of, I think one of the coolest pictures I've seen on your, on what on both your pages would be what you do with your, your Turkey, uh, your shells after you roll your, I've, I've seen people do all sorts of things and that's something that's kind of neat. You know, it's, I've seen people save both, but I've never seen them roll them up like you do and, and stuff it into your shell. Have you ever tried the muzzle loader, like a, a turkey load or a shotgun load out of a muzzle loader? No, I haven't tried that yet. My uh, my best friend, he just bought, there's like a uh, conversion kit you can buy that'll turn your single shot into a, maybe that's what you're kind of talking about, but, and he's he's tried it a couple times, but I haven't gone that far yet I, i'd like to shoot a turkey with my flint walk here eventually but i'm still not that good of a turkey hunter to you know if i get a shot i need to make it count right now so i hear you i don't know about not being a good turkey hunter i've seen the i've seen the number of shells you had lined up and you've you've at least doubled or if not tripled mine so i think you uh you have something going on with the pennsylvania big woods it seems like that i mean they're hard enough to hunt but it seemed you not just Pennsylvania this year. Uh, you were you took a little trip to New York as well, and everybody talks about Sweet November. And if if you want to give a definition of Sweet November, um, I want to hear your story about your November because it started off in it started off in Pennsylvania, right? With with your with your yeah. season. I actually uh, this year has been super busy. My wife's in the middle of getting her master's degree, and. Uh, so I've been like super dad here at home trying to keep the, hold the fort down. So uh, November 8th was actually the first day I was able to get out into a deer stand for myself this year. Uh, every October, I take some kids out uh, with Rugged Cross Outdoors. They put on a youth hunt. and uh, But as far as me hunting, it was November 8th for two hours in the evening. And then we hiked in November 9th the next morning. And an hour later, that buck showed up. <laughs> and uh, shortest and sweetest bow season for me to date. In Pennsylvania. Yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> so, that I mean, Pennsylvania big woods. I mean, you, 
is that all you hunt mainly is it's more of what we consider big woods in pennsylvania because i mean i've looked i've followed you actually i have followed you probably since way before i had an instagram i really i haven't used my my facebook account for uh, over three years now but i remember following you and being friends with you on facebook i mean this is probably early 2010s you know and when i found you on instagram i was following you and just it seems like you have a very good track record when it comes to the pennsylvania big woods Uh, what do you are you doing anything what how are you being so consistent i guess that's a lot of the people that are probably going to be listening to this are more you know pennsylvania residents and where i'm at in pennsylvania it's more farmland so how are you bringing such a consistency to the big woods? Uh, I'd say it's a culmination of a couple of different things, obviously, but a lot of it is trial and error. And I know it's not the, that's not like the, the answer that everyone wants to hear because it means that there was a lot of hard work and failures to get to this point. You know, uh, I always, I don't know how to feel about social media because I post pictures and I try to, like, if you read my stories, like I try to put the whole story out there so that people can understand it's not just a picture. Like there was more behind it. And I I guess it just comes like I woodsmanship is my biggest thing. And it's kind of a, not maybe a dying art nowadays, but it's definitely not, everyone wants that piece of gear that's going to push them over the top to the next level. And it's, there's just no piece of gear that's going to replace woodsmanship. So I'm basically going off of like historical data. Uh, I have confidence in the spots that I'm going to, and I'm trying to hit it at the best time slash weather, um, crossroads that I can for when I'm able to hunt and sometimes it just comes down to you're in the right spot at the right time because the big woods can be brutal yeah yeah I've never uh we we talked a little bit before off air you know about where we were located in Pennsylvania and I actually I mean it was probably within a half hour you I I shot my first my first deer and that was probably the last time I was can remember really being up in the big woods considered of Pennsylvania. And it's definitely something I don't, I'm not going to say I've, I've figured out the farmland area by any means, but it definitely has, it's when you, you've grown up and you've hunt one specific terrain and, you know, you have to start traveling within a couple of hours to, to see any different features or anything like that. I think it's it's going to be a whole new world, and it's definitely another challenge, you know, another thing to, to add onto the list. And hopefully in 2023, I can get up to uh, get up to somewhere up in what we call the PA wilds around here and and to harvest anything, even, even if it's just like you said, the trial and error, because I I do need to put my time. And I guess, you know, I don't I don't necessarily think. I want to go up there and shoot a, a a big, big deer right off the bat because I'm going to expect that the next year. So like you said, when it comes down to trial and error, you people don't like that because it does have hard work and you've obviously put your time in and, you know, you've, 
you've done that for years now and now your your hard work's paying off do you when so you went to new york this year now you're pretty successful there as well did you take the same tactics there and uh also run us through all the success you had also uh following up towards the end of november there for you yeah so um every year me and my close buddies here try to take a some sort of out of state trip. Uh, we did Ohio starting in 2017 up to 2020. And then we transitioned over to New York just to get a, some new scenery in. And typically like if we have six guys in camp, two guys will get a buck. It's like maybe a 30% success rate on that. But the second year is when we really start to figure stuff out. The, like the first year we always luck into a couple, but we're laying eyes on these places for the first time and uh, just attacking it head on. So this was our second year in New York and I had a, a lot of confidence that I was going to get an opportunity at a buck. Uh, and I wasn't gonna be too picky. Like the first morning we hiked up in, uh, my father-in-law and I, and I set him in a spot and looking at the tracks in the snow, I was like, yeah, he's he's in the money right here. So I went up the valley a little bit farther and just after daybreak, a, a four pointer came down off the top and man, I was trying hard to get a shot at him just to get my first New York buck. But I uh, he skirted me and he actually went right to my father-in-law. And uh, so he, he tagged out again. I think he's hunted New York for a total of about 45 minutes over two years and shot two <laughs> bucks. Uh, so anyhow, day two, we got about four more inches of snow and I was tracking a buck that, that morning, but I just couldn't keep his track fresh enough. The snow was falling so hard. I couldn't move fast enough to hold on to it. Went back to the cabin, got changed, the snow stopped and I headed back up the mountain and, uh, about three quarters of a mile in, I cut another fresh buck track. So I decided to start following it. And uh, his track, he slowed down and was just about to, usually when they slow down and they start meandering a little bit, that's when you really need to start paying attention because it means that they're looking for a spot to either feed or bed. Well, anyhow, I caught movement to my right and here I had jumped a bear right off of that buck track and he was 20 yards from me running. So I shouldered the gun and just dropped him right on. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the best shot in the world, but that one, it just went right. And it's still, it took a while for it to even hit me what actually happened because I don't know. I was the last <laughs> thing I expected to, I wasn't tracking a bear, you know? Right. So. Is that how their, their tags are up there? Can you, do, so here, obviously, you know, you have to buy a, a separate tag in, in New York. Is that how it is? If you buy a, a, you know, one tag, you have a, a bear tag and a, and a deer license on that. Yeah. With your uh, non-resident general license, you get a, a buck tag and a bear tag. Doe licenses are under like an application system like we have here. So so you, you shot the bear first. 
that was uh what what date was that that was towards the the end of november i think you said middle end of november yeah i think the season came in on the 19th and that was the sunday so the 20th i believe is when i got the bear okay and then you followed that up with uh with yet another another november story <laughs> yeah so the next uh the next day we hunted the morning and not much well, actually, me and my my buddy, we we tracked one, and I ended up missing him when he got out of his bed. Um, just it was just a split second thing. We we tracked him really well, and I was proud of that because that's one of my goals this year up there was to get that tracking experience, and uh, I felt like we did a really good job there. But anyhow, in the evening, I decided just to take a brand new mountainside out and still still hunt my way out along it cause it was the last evening of our hunt and I just wanted to lay eyes on a new area for the following year. Like if usually if I can just get eyes on a spot, I can say, yeah, this is worth looking at again or not. So I was going out through there and it was just a series of uh, like little finger ridges that came off the main mountain and like little bowls. And I saw four or five does pretty quickly but it was it was like you would go into deer sign and then out of deer sign and it was there was no in between it was like lots of deer tracks or no deer tracks then it was getting to be about 4 30 and i wanted to turn and like hunt my way back towards the truck so i could keep learning new area but i wanted to peek over this last little rise and when i did sure enough there was a lone big body deer feeding about 115 yards away i i checked him and he was uh definitely legal so i snuck up about 15 yards closer and the wind in the mountains like if you hunt them at all you understand that it's never consistent and it swirled and he didn't like freak out but he lifted his head and he looked my way and that's when I knew I had to take the shot and I put a pretty good first shot on him. And then the second shot finished him, but, uh, he was a big, I'm, I'm going to get him aged, but he was a big old six pointer. He had four on one side and then just a big Y on the other. And just the way his face looked and the way his nose was rounded off. I think he's an older deer, but I haven't got his teeth sent in yet to figure that out. You kept bringing up the, the the tracking and the cutting tracks. Um, I've seen it in the past, just watching YouTube videos. Uh, it seems like anybody that hunts New York, New Hampshire, anything like that, that's one thing they rely on is cutting track. Is that something you do? You use that you know that skill in the in Pennsylvania, or is that something that you know you're you're still learning and growing up? You know when you go maybe up in New York and out of state and, and stuff like that. It's definitely weather related. Um, Pennsylvania, you know, we don't usually have snow when it's rifle season, but I just try to, I try to have a little bit of experience in all different aspects of hunting. So that way, when I get to a place, like when I pulled into New York this year and there's three inches to at the end, 10 inches of snow on the ground. I kind of have an idea then, you know, I'm not completely uh, 
I'm not sitting there wondering what to do. I'm like, okay, well, I need to cut a deer track now and I need to be aggressive because I have the snow and I need to use it to my advantage. Are you, uh, are you doing any e-scouting or anything like that? Are you using any kind of any of the apps to when, when you're going out of state? Cause I'm, I'm looking at getting into maybe just a, maybe a four day trip. I, I plan on hunting Ohio cause I'm only, I'm about within a half an hour from the border. So next year, I think I'm going to try and hunt both States at the same time throughout the season. And but I, I'm still trying to plan maybe a, you know, a, f- a three-day trip, four-day trip somewhere. What are what, – do you have any pointers, I guess? You know, e-scouting, um, are you you making an off-season trip, you know, to that area, kind of seeing what it looks like first? or? Um, yeah, I mean, like, like most guys, I have Onyx on my phone. And I'm definitely taking, like, an overall general look at the area. Uh, when I'm looking at a new piece, I'm looking for diversity in the habitat. Like I don't really, New York's kind of an outlier because it's just all big woods and there's not much that you can, there's not a whole lot of, they don't clear cut much. There's not, there's not fields. It's just, but like for like Ohio, it's like, I'm looking for breaks in the terrain coupled with habitat edges and where at least two things come together. Like, I don't want to just be sitting in the middle of, which is all backwards because we're talking about the big woods. And and a lot of times that's what that is. But even in the big woods, you can find like where some beach brush kind of makes a little thicket. It's not something you can see on Onyx really. So I'm a really big shed hunter. And I put on probably 50 to a hundred miles a year in the spring but though every single mile i'm scouting to and i'm making mental notes i'm marking on onyx hey this is where this came together because sometimes you can't see that from your computer like you can get an you get an idea where to start at but until you put boots there you know i don't know how many times i've been burnt just i mean areas that i've even i've driven by my almost my entire life and I, you know, I, I would go dive into it and looking on the map, you think, you know what it looks like and you, you get back in there and it looks nothing like you thought. And that's like you said, that's just when you were in, in New York, you, you just kept pushing, you know, for, for maybe next year or, or something like that. And that's a mental note or just throwing a little, a, a pen with a, a note in your on X just always, always is going to help. But yeah, I, I definitely, I, I go ahead. Uh, just one other thing is when I'm, when I am boots on the ground and there's something that I see, I don't, I always take a picture on Onyx. I don't know if you know that you can save a picture to your pen. So like, I just, I've gotten into the habit of always taking a picture because sometimes I'll just have like 50 pins in an area. And I, sometimes I don't do a good job of describing what I actually saw, but if I can pull that picture up, you know, I, I know what's, I have an idea of what it looks like anyhow, but yeah, in, Ohio, in Ohio, uh, sorry to cut you off there. No, you're good. Um, that place, some of those public land pieces out there can be humbling. And like, there's been a couple of times where I've tried to tackle a new thing in the dark out there and it just, it doesn't work. I've, 
some of those pieces, there's high walls and razor thorns that are as long as steak knives. And I, I just, I'd suggest at least taking like a day to scout it prior to actually trying to be in a stand. Yeah, because I mean, I, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty close to Ohio and I, I tossed the idea around for a couple of weeks if I was going to go this year or not. And I talked myself out of it one week for whatever reason. And then the next week I wanted to go and, and I kept telling myself, well, how much different could it be than where I'm at? So I start talking to some people and they're saying it's, it's a lot different. Like you said, it's, it's very uh, humbling to say the least when you get over there and, and it's so I'm definitely going to put some boots on the ground this summer and go into it prepared. I think I just, I got very excited after my buck this year and I just, I had that, you know, that, that instinct. I just wanted to keep going. Uh, I, I, I guess I just didn't feel prepared a hundred percent. And I guess I, I don't know if I ever will, if you ever do feel a hundred percent prepared, but it was kind of, I don't know. I, I came down, I had to come down off the high. That was my biggest buck, obviously, to date. And I think once I came down off the high of that, of wanting just to immediately go chase another one, I mean, I, I still have that itch, but I needed to get grounded and 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 tackle it a different way and, and do it next year and just, like I said, put some boots on the ground and, and not restrict myself to the the land that is, the public land that is only just on the other side of the border. You know, I want to be able to make a, a couple day trip or a weekend trip because you can hunt Sundays over there. So, you know, make a make a, a weekend trip a little further in. So I think that that was going to take a little bit more planning and and scouting. You mentioned shed hunting. That's something I definitely wanted to talk about because I, I was just ta- asked about it not long ago. It's something I I've never got into. I've I've tried. I've been very unsuccessful. Um, you seem to be very successful at that as well. Uh, is there any, what, what, what pointers can you give on that? Because it's, it's not only just, I know some people want to do it so they can, they can, they can get history with a deer or, you know, they can, and that's great. That's great at all. But I think it's just cool just to have, like, I can see behind you, you just have sheds. I don't know if those are deer that you've, you've had any history with, but I mean, there's nothing, I think I've maybe found three sheds in my life and one was anything to talk about, you know, so is there, what are any pointers you can give in that, in that field? Um, it's, you definitely need to start walking. That's number one. It's not going to, it's not going to come easy. You can go on and you can read all the shed hunting articles and they're all going to say, check your food sources, check your fence crossings but your area is probably unique to your area and until you start walking it and you see there's nothing more telling than snow in the winter time because you can go walk in january if the snow's not real deep i don't like pressuring deer whenever they're trying to survive but if it's just like a light snow you can go walk and you can see okay the deer are spending their time here so in early march or late february probably early March when the snow starts to melt, I know that this is probably a good area to come look because that's where these deer were spending their time at. I mean, it basically comes down to finding those 
core winter areas for deer and putting your time in. When I'm walking, if there's no deer sign, I'm 100 miles an hour, just get me through here. And yeah, you'll pick a shed up anywhere you can, you know, they could just, I found them in random areas. But when I hit the heavier deer sign, that's when I'm going to slow down and I'm going to start in a way grid searching, you know, and this past winter was unusual because we had it's going to be like this winter also where we had no acorns in the normal spots and i can't really say that hardly any of my normal shed spots produced last year and i found the majority of those antlers in new areas which was kind of awesome because i got to explore all that new property and see stuff that i probably wouldn't have seen if my old spots were producing that's that was one thing i was going to ask you if if you you know use the same spots season after season when you're when you're looking for sheds and i mean you touched on that but uh are you uh, obviously being you know not necessarily i i don't want to call you a late season hunter but you you definitely have a a love for late season it has a special place with you and do you does that go hand in hand with with shed hunting you know is that do you think that helps you because it's not too much longer until you're moving into that, that shed season. So are you, are you finding yourself, you know, kind of in the same areas when you're, when you're late season hunting with your flintlock as you are when you're, when you're looking for sheds? Yeah, there's definitely overlap there. And I would say that the shed hunting helps just as much with like bow season and rifle season as it does with late season. Um, I mean, with late season, obviously, that's where the deer are right then. So that's where you're, you know, they're where you found them in late seasons, where you're going to find the sheds, because that's where everything is right at that time. It's, I'm sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought there. But, oh, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's it's a whole new ball game. Both of those are whole new ball games for me. And it's, like I said, I I don't know if I talked on air or off air. I, I'm always chasing deer and I want to, I want to get a, not another hobby, I guess, but another hobby that involves the outdoors that, cause I, I try to turkey hunt and the older I get turkey hunting, I'm always looking for deer. And then I go out shed hunting and I'm like, oh, I'll go out shed hunting while I'm turkey hunting. And then I'm looking for deer. So that, I mean, that's, that's just like one of those things that maybe I, I just, I, I, I'm trying to pick everybody that I can brain about. I mean, anything and everything, but little things like that, that I think it could possibly help you, like you said, in the future. And it's something that I think, I know people are getting into it with dogs a lot more recently. And I, that's definitely beneficial. Um maybe if you have a, a big farm where you are targeting a specific deer and those sheds could become more crucial to find exact sheds. I think that's the only time I may get into, you know, a dog uh, for, for shed hunting. But I think it's something that a lot of people are seeming like they're getting more and more into everybody that I talk to seems like they're asking me, were you a shed hunter? 
I said, well, I, I can't call myself a shed hunter because I've went out, <laughs> I've went out and shed hunted, but I don't have anything to show for it. So I actually didn't pick it up till only about four and a half years ago, uh, which kind of drives me nuts because it's like 15 wasted years there, <laughs> all those antlers laying around just getting chewed on by squirrels. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I take my dog. She's just a year old. I, I took her last spring some and I found, I still found all the antlers and I would like, if I would see one, I would nudge her that way. And it is amazing. Like she would not see it with her eyes, but she would get on the downwind side of it and she would just stop on a dime and go right to that antler and pick it up. And it was, I don't know how I feel about it <laughs> really. Like I, I like finding them myself and uh, some guys say it's cheating, but if it gets you out there in the woods, I'm not going to really, I'm not going to pick at you for it, you know? It's, yeah. Cause like you, you, you touched on earlier, your big thing is, is woodsmanship. So, I mean, that's, and, and whatever that is, I mean, I think you agree obviously that whatever that is, and it could be shed hunting with your dog. It could be you know, hiking with your, with your, with your kid in, in the, in the, spring whatever that may be but uh i just want to thank you aaron for coming on sharing your you know your experiences and your knowledge uh from you know shed hunting uh the whole way up to to late season uh, and you know everything in between uh congratulations again on on one heck of a 2022 season and you know uh, the best of luck to you to 2023 uh, if anybody's looking to find you or look up your page you know uh, your youtube or anything like that is there where 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 can they find you uh yeah thanks for having me on and i uh, appreciate it i you can look find me at uh ap woodsman on instagram uh my facebook i kind of just keep that more friends and family but and then legendary pursuits is on basically any social media platform our big thing is youtube you can go on there we have i think 110 videos now and uh usually put out 10 or 12 a year and it's just we keep it real uh show it like it is if if you watch my bow buck video this year you you know that yep and uh yeah, yeah we, we well uh all right i uh, appreciate everybody for tuning in for another episode of origins of the hunt uh podcast and remember guys never stop learning